I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock. When Jesus was here on the earth in human form, physical life was difficult for most people because there was no social safety net like we have today to help people through hardship and through economic loss. Now, God did intend, if you read the Old Testament, by those laws that he gave, that his people would care for each other, and in that way they would alleviate human suffering. But sadly, in Jesus' time, those laws were mostly neglected. The poor were actually being oppressed by the rich and the powerful, and those oppressors included many of the religious leaders. And so Jesus stepped into this setting with his passion for truth and his compassion for those who were downtrodden and disadvantaged. And that aroused the animosity of the religious leaders because it confronted their hypocrisy. What would Jesus say about those of us who claim to be his followers today? Jesus. 
Thank you, men. And thank you, too, for joining me today for The Voice of Hope. I'm J. Mark Horst, your friend and Bible teacher. The Voice of Hope is a weekly Bible teaching program produced by Heralds of Hope. We're an international media ministry sharing the gospel around the world in English and 25 other languages. And we use all forms of media, radio, internet, social media, and print to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people all over the world. Speaking of print media, one of the ways we use that at Heralds of Hope is through Bible distribution. And in our next episode of The Voice of Hope, on the weekend of February 18th, I will be talking with Tony High about his trip to Africa last fall as part of our Bible distribution program. Tony is the executive director here at Heralds of Hope, and I'm sure you'll be blessed as he shares some of his experiences with us next time here on The Voice of Hope. To whet your appetite for that interview, here's a testimony from a person who received a Bible in Malawi, that's a country in East Africa. He writes, My heart is swelling and overflowing with great joy for the very precious gift of Bibles that you have provided to the very needy households and pastors. This is truly the most valuable possession, and we say thanks to God and thanks to you and your team and thanks to your donors. The Bible is God's very instruction for our lives. Did you notice that this brother who received these Bibles specifically thanked our donors? And so if you're one of our donors, his thanks are given directly to you. Only eternity will reveal the impact of the scriptures on this man's life. Today on The Voice of Hope, we're continuing our study in Mark's Gospel. To prepare for my teaching, I urge you to get your copy of the scriptures so you can follow along with me as I read our text in just a few minutes. In this episode of our study from Mark's Gospel, we'll be looking at chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. Last week, we looked at the closing verses of Mark chapter 2. The events recorded there took place on a Sabbath day, as do the events recorded here in the opening verses of chapter 3. In both cases, we see Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. Now, to establish his authority as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus posed two arguments. The first argument was from scriptural precedent. He took his critics back to the Old Testament to a situation that they were familiar with, and he used it to demonstrate that human need superseded the letter of the law. By the way, if you missed that teaching, you can find it on our website, heraldsofhope.org. In a few moments now, we'll look at the second argument that Jesus used to support his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. It is his argument from a human predicament. So I invite you to follow along now as I read our text, Mark chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. 
Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. The second argument Jesus used to proclaim his lordship of the Sabbath was his argument from human predicament. And this second incident is recorded in our text, taking place on another Sabbath day, right here in the beginning of chapter 3. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Nothing new with that. It was something he did regularly. In the congregation that day, there was a man who had a withered hand, a shrunken hand. You know, the same word is used to describe the fig tree that Jesus cursed in Matthew chapter 21. So in other words, this man's hand was useless. Luke records that it was the man's right hand. And for most people, the right hand is the predominant one, the one that enables them to work and earn a living. Marvin Vincent writes this, The Greek participle indicates that the withering was not congenital. In other words, he wasn't born with the deformity, but was the result of some accident or some disease. Now, notice verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching Jesus to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath day. Why were they watching him? Out of curiosity or interest? No, it was because of animosity. They were watching to see what he would do so they could accuse him of breaking the law. That would tarnish his reputation in the eyes of the people, and it would also give them an excuse to bring him before the Sanhedrin. But because he was God in the flesh, Jesus always had the upper hand. He always knew what they were thinking. Again, Jesus seems to purposely raise the level of tension in the situation. So he commands the man with a withered hand to stand up and to move into the middle of the room. As you can imagine, Jesus now has the attention of everyone who's present. And as everyone is looking at this man, Jesus asks a question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now in my mind, I believe this is a rhetorical question. The answer is self-evident and I'm fairly certain that Jesus intended it to be so. After he asked the question, Jesus paused to give his audience time to reflect on what he had asked. And as they were thinking about what he said, he takes time to look over the entire audience slowly and deliberately. Mark says he looked around about him with anger because he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. The original grammar of this sentence tells us that his anger was momentary and fleeting, but his grief for the hardness of their hearts was continuing. The heart and the attitude of these religious men were in a state of moral ossification, like hardened hands or feet. Poros is the original word, and it was used to describe a particular kind of stone, marble, and also of the callus that forms on fractured bones. And so the Pharisees were hardened against this new truth by their previous conceptions of how it should be applied. After he had everyone's attention, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man obeyed, and immediately his hand was restored to wholeness, just like the other one. Now, how would you have responded if you'd been there? Would you have been glad for the man who was healed? For myself, I would quickly say, absolutely, I would be glad for him. But what if that healing made me look foolish in the eyes of my peers? 
After all, what if the roles had been reversed? What if I were the one with the withered hand? Think of what this meant to this man, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. If he were a day laborer, which is likely, he would be much more likely to be hired now because he was a whole person. He could once again provide for himself and for his family if he had one. He would no longer replay in his mind over and over the circumstances that led to his disability. Instead, he would relive the miraculous moment when his hand was restored and along with it, his life and his dignity was restored so he could now hold his head high and walk with confidence among his fellow men. But I want you to notice the response of the Pharisees. The text says, The Pharisees went forth and immediately took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Who were the Herodians? They were a political party that wanted to restore Herod to the throne of Judea. They opposed the Pharisees because they wanted a descendant of David on that same throne. So these two parties were political enemies, and yet because of their hatred for Jesus, they worked together to destroy him. You know, there's that old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This incident reminds me of one that's recorded in Luke's Gospel. It's in chapter 13 and verses 14 to 17, where Jesus healed a woman again on the Sabbath. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and he said to the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, You hypocrite, do not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. There is a time and a place for anger, for righteous indignation. When you and I see the helpless and the innocent being exploited by the powerful, that should make us angry. When we see children abused and abandoned by those who brought them into this world, we should be upset enough to act. But you know, that wasn't the kind of anger the Pharisees had. Instead, they had a blind and a senseless rage. They had a violent reaction to someone who made them look bad in the presence of their peers. It was pure hatred for someone who was truly holy. Now, I've never seen the kind of rage that will lead to murder like theirs eventually did. But I have seen the rage of people when their hypocrisy has been exposed. It leads them to bitterness and character assassination. The hatred of the Pharisees was so sad because, in their desire to obey God's law and keep the Sabbath, they had come to the place where they missed the basic reason why God created the Sabbath in the first place. God didn't create the Sabbath because he was tired and needed a rest. No, he created the Sabbath for the benefit of his creation. It's interesting to note that man was created just as what we might call God's weekend was beginning. And if God's plan had proceeded as it should have, the whole of human history would have been spent in the joyous Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 9. But as you know, sin entered the picture, 
and now our days are spent in wearisome toil. After the sin of our first parents, the seventh day, or the Sabbath, is not mentioned again until the celebration of the Passover in the book of Exodus. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, before receiving the law at Mount Sinai, they were forbidden to gather manna on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. And of course, the command to keep the Sabbath day holy is part of the Decalogue, it's part of the Ten Commandments. John Stott writes, The Sabbath day became a very important feature of Jewish religion, and when their vision was the clearest, the Jews understood that the weekly day of rest was a ritual anticipation of the advent of the Messianic Age, a kind of picture in the form of a religious observance of what the whole of life would once again be like when God's Messiah came into the world to set things right, and the Sabbath would be a thing of delight. But as you and I can see in this text, that truth is easily obscured, and the promise can become just a lifeless form. It's obvious to me, Jesus was not denigrating Sabbath observance. He kept the Sabbath as an observant Jew. He was objecting to the rigid rules of the Pharisees that made this day a joyless drudgery. The Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, or Sunday, or whatever day of the week you use as a day of rest and reflection on God's good gifts, should be a time of joy and blessing for you and for other people. One implication of the Genesis story is that a Sabbath day's rest, one day in seven, is a pattern that has been built into creation and into the rhythm of human life from the start. It's not merely a Jewish or a Christian observance. Whatever a person's religion, his constitution as a human being, needs a rest of this particular kind. In my opening illustration to this teaching last week, I mentioned the pack animals and their improved performance with a rest period of one day in seven. Studies have shown that even inanimate machinery functions better and lasts longer if it has one day of rest per week. I'm told that specialist Dr. Hagler of Basel, Switzerland, shows by an ingenious chart that the night's rest does not balance the day's work. He states that a workman, for example, breathes 30 ounces of oxygen during Monday's work, but he uses up 31 ounces. So at the close of the day, he is one ounce short. He has a tired body and is that much in debt to nature. He goes to sleep and he breathes more oxygen than he uses so that in the morning he has gotten back five-sixths. The night's rest does not quite balance the day's work. On Sunday morning, he is six-sixths of an ounce in debt to nature, a whole ounce short, a whole day behind, so that he must rest a whole day to get a square ledger balance with nature. And so, week by week, he is restored. But if he neglects to take this weekly rest, then he runs down and can die before his time. And so it seems clear that God gave mankind a day of rest to the benefit of all creation. So what conclusions can we draw from this account? First, the Old Testament, even though its laws are no longer binding on us, has much to teach us if we're willing to examine the spirit of those laws. Even when examining the law with its many prohibitions, we must understand that these were all given by God for the protection and the blessing of His people. He did it so they would prosper and have good health. 
His laws were never intended to make life joyless and dreary. Now, as those who live today under New Testament grace, we must also realize that the requirements of godliness are much greater today than they were under the law, because now our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motivations are under the searchlight of the Word and the Holy Spirit, not just our actions. According to Hebrews 12.14, purity of heart and holiness of life are requirements for those who desire to see God, to see Him at work in their lives today, and ultimately to see Him in His eternal presence. We should also learn to exercise patience and forbearance with those who have a different view of the day of rest than we do. As human beings, we all lack understanding. We all see through a glass darkly. Let's encourage each other to focus on why we're here and on our eternal reward. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. Let's use wisely the wonderful gift of a day of rest that we have been given. It's meant for our good and for the edification of others. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, and so the Sabbath was never intended to be a day of drudgery. It was meant to be a day that honors God and blesses and refreshes His people. When you truly embrace the Lord of the Sabbath, you will find it to be so in your life and experience. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures. Fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. I surrender. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine, Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Oh, Savior, He can move the mountains. 
My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, you can move the mountains. Lord, you are mighty to save. You are mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, you rose and conquered the grave. Yes, you conquered the grave. Aren't you grateful for the compassion of Jesus? Are you grateful that he's Lord of the Sabbath? I am. And I'm grateful for that day of rest each week. I look forward to the time of gathering with a group of God's people to worship and praise Him and to be instructed by His Word. And I hope that's your experience too. If you'd like to review today's teaching or share it with someone, you may request a copy. It's available either in print or as a digital audio file. Just ask for it by its title, Lord of the Sabbath. Or maybe you have a comment you'd like to share with us. We welcome those, too. The easiest way to contact us is by using our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. That's H-O-P-E at heraldsofhope.org. Or pick up your phone and call us toll-free at 866-960-0292. And, of course, you can mail your request to The Voice of Hope, Box 3, Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. You can also review today's teaching or listen to archived programs by logging onto our website, heraldsofhope.org. If you'd like to help this ministry financially, you can send a check by mail, or you can donate securely online at our website, heraldsofhope.org. You can also call our toll-free number, 866 960-0292 to donate via credit or debit card. God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, will enable the Voice of Hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. Now don't forget to join me next week for the Voice of Hope for the interview I promised you about Bible distribution in Africa. You won't want to miss it. And until we meet again, I am a poor wayfaring stranger while traveling through this world of war. Yet there's no sickness for nor danger in that bright world to which I go. I'm going there to see my Father. I'm going there no more to
going there.